This editorially independent podcast is supported by Visit Flanders. It's the slang of the people. If you ask an Oudbrunen uh, Oudenarde, you will get the Liefmans. If you will ask uh, Oudbrun and Rooselare, they will not uh, look uh, strange at you. They will give you a Rodenbach. If you ask it in Kortrijk, then uh, it depends on which bar you go. You get a Bavik or a Van der Henste. Van der Henste. So it's a language of the people. Yeah, and that's why we use our brain. It's Michael Jackson who separated the two uh, the two beer styles. Okay, let's buckle in. We're talking about Oud Brown, Flanders Red, Flemish Sours today. Roundtable discussion. My name is Brendan Kearney. You're listening to the Belgian Smart Podcast. So Old Brown is a reddish-brown beer of mixed fermentation, which presents as malty, fruity, aged, and somewhat acidic. It's traditionally associated with the provinces of West Flanders and East Flanders, particularly the region around the Leestreek and the city of Odenarde. Now the malt profile can range from caramel to toasted, and the acidity of commercial examples can stretch from a soft tartness to your very whiny, vinous character. They can be dry and tannic, or balanced out with a full-bodied sweetness. Commentators commonly distinguish between fooder-aged Flanders Red and stainless steel-aged Oud Brown, while some breweries themselves have sought protection under different names such as Southwest Flemish Red Brown. However, these distinctions are not regularly used on the ground in Belgium. And the more you delve into production methods, the more you realise how grey the lines between all those definitions are. A few weeks ago, I sat down with three of the most influential figures in the world of Oud Brown. Mark Cousins is a site manager and head of production at Brauerei Liefmans, a brewery now part of the Duvel Mortgart Group, well known for its production of Liefmans Old Brown and the now iconic Goudenband. I asked Mark to be there to represent the Odenarde tradition of Old Brown. Rudi Gehiere is site manager at Brauerei Rodenbach an institution of a brewery located in Rusulara, described by others during this podcast discussion as the mothership when it comes to Oud Brown. I asked Rudy to be there to represent the tradition of Southwest Flanders, and in particular the process of mixed fermentation products blended from beer coming out of upright standing oak fooders. Alex Lippens is the co-owner and brewer at Brauerei Tverset, a small brewery in Anzichem, 
in operation since 2011, which has embraced Ode Brown as part of their identity. I asked Alex to be there to represent the newer wave of brewers who are interested in protecting the heritage and reputation of Ode Brown in the region, but also across Belgium and more recently internationally. I wanted a neutral venue for the discussion, so my guests agreed to meet me in Kortrijk, in the old casino premises on the modern Casino Plain, an impressive building which is now home to one of the most beautiful bookshops in Belgium. So during our discussion, we touched on their individual journeys into Eau Brown, the stories of the three breweries for whom they each work, and the connection between the Eau Brown style and the region. We went deep on production, discussing water profiles, grain bills, mixed fermentation, and the complexities of aging. We also talked definitions. What is Old Brown? What's Flanders Red? Why was there an attempt to protect a different name through EU applications? And what happened that this protection was blocked? We explored the reasons Old Brown suffered commercial decline in the 1990s and we surmised in what format it might survive in the future. So sit back, listen and enjoy our Straight Talk episode about Old Brown. Part one of this discussion is called It's Old, It's Brown, It's Ours. My name is Mark, Mark Cousins, and uh, I'm coming from uh, brewery Liefmans, which now makes part of the group Duvel Moordgat. Uh, originally, I worked for 23 years at Duvel Moordgat as uh, head of the quality, and then I moved in 2008 when we took over Liefmans. I moved from Braindonk, Duvel, to uh, Liefmans to start up to restart, in fact, the brewery because they went bankrupt before our takeover. They went bankrupt and then I arrived there and then started some projects and... Uh, the rest is history. And the rest is history, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hello, I'm Alex Lippens. Uh, I'm the co-founder of uh, Brewery Verzet. Uh, and we started uh, in 2011. Okay. So my name is Rudy Hekire. I'm from the Rodemach Brewery, working there since uh, 82. I'm a little bit part of that history, but the history of that brewery is very old. 
goes back in time till uh, 1667. So before the Roloma family took it over, it was the Little Spain Brewery. And they always have made beers in that way, uh, in the way of red browns, old brown beer, aging on wood. And it's located in Spanjestraat now, I think. It's located in the Spanjestraat, and that was the ancient uh, Spain, um, yeah, Spanjewijk, uh, so the, the, the... Neighborhood. The neighborhood of Spain. It was a Spain neighborhood. Okay. So you have to go back in time to the, uh, to the Austrians uh, to know what happens there. Um, we, we're all sharing a beer here today. Um, it's a beer from Verzet. Could you tell us a little bit about what the beer is, Alex? So uh, it's uh, one of our infusions. It's our, uh, the base beer is our regular Oud Brun. Uh, and we infused it with oak leaves. Uh, so we, uh, and each September since 2013, we go pick with a group of people oak leaves in a local forest, dry those leaves for two weeks, and then put them for five months on beer that's already aged for one year in the barrel. Uh-huh. I can understand, you know, <clears throat> if you have a traditional product, you want to think of ways that you can inject your own personality into it or maybe try something new. But how do you come up with the idea of oak leaf? And, I mean, it sounds like the fact that you have to dry them first and work with them in a way that it actually, there's, there's some obstacles to, to using it. Uh, I've got the idea from a hippie book from my girlfriend. She's like into permaculture. Uh, like uh, growing all kinds of stuff in the garden next to each other. And in that book of uh, making juices from berries, there was like a recipe of oak leaf wine. Um, I'm, uh, my inspiration bottom, uh, button is always on, so it intrigued me and I said, why don't we try it like in Oudbrun? The circle would be around, we're using oak uh, barrels, why don't we add like oak leaves and try to see what uh, what's happening? Uh, and also thinking the big boys here next to me will never do that experiment. So it's a unicum that we can make. And if it's good, then we have uh, something unique. And yeah, and what like for people that maybe haven't had the opportunity to try it, how would you describe what the oak leaf infusion sort of equips the beer with or endows the beer with? Extra. It's a a nerdy flavor. Uh, it gives an extra dimension to the beer, uh, and you have like uh, people. Some people say it's like smelling and tasting like a, a walk in the forest in autumn. Uh, it's a unique flavor that you don't get by adding uh, something else. Uh, no, but I think you're right when you say like it's more difficult for the big boys sitting on either side of you here because like they, they operate in a, in, a, in a different commercial environment to, to a brewery of your size. Um, you, you don't just produce Old Brown, of course, you also produce top fermented beers, but how big a part of Old Brown production, it, how, how big a part of your identity is that as a brewery? As a volume, it's only 20%, but as our identity, it's 80%. Uh, why, so, why so? Because uh, it's a beer of our region, and when we started it, the brewery, uh, 
we we want to make uh, a Brune uh, rock and roll again. It's not very popular uh, the last 10 years. Uh, and we want to like add new energy to the beer style by being a young brewery, choosing for that style. It's not an easy choice. It's not a most convenient one, but we truly love the beer style. Uh, so, I mean, you, the name of the brewery is Tverzat, which translates as the resistance. And you just talked about like rock and roll. There's kind of this, you know, pushing back vibe initially anyway to, to the brewery when it was set up. How, how do you think the other brewers perceived you guys when you came in to do that? Like, was there, there was no disrespect on your part no. You're the resistance to, yeah. to the establishment, right? I think uh, they're just watching what are they going to do. Uh, well, we were not like approached. I think they, they thought, uh, let's see what's happening with them. Uh, uh, they're not scared of us. Uh, we have to prove ourselves uh, if what we do is... An, an added value to the Belgian beer scene. Uh, and that's what we want to be, an added value. Uh, not only uh, kicking on uh, uh, on knees of other guys, we want to just push boundaries and uh, uh, get Belgian beer relevant uh, still. Yeah. Um, Mark, you mentioned that you were working in for Duvel Mortgat before they bought Leafman's, right? So does that mean that you were in production of a strong golden ale? Yes. Mostly, Duvel. like most of the time. Yeah. yeah. And can you remember the moment when someone comes to you and says, right, we want you to go to Leafman's and brew this beer of mixed yes. fermentation with heritage? Yeah, at that moment, I was not really uh, thinking about... Uh, what it would gonna be. I didn't, I, I knew the beers a little bit, but not really from, from regular uh, tasting and whatever, because they were seemingly different as what I was used to make. Um, but I knew Altbrun uh, from my studies. Mm -hmm. I went to college in uh, Odenaard a few years. So I there, there I drank mm -hmm. a lot of Altbrun mm -hmm. at that time in the early, 80s, late 70s, early 80s. So I had, I still had an idea of Oudbrun, but especially for our Oudbrun from Ordenaar, the Leafmans and, and Felix, uh, I, yeah. I tasted it. So I had an idea of how it was at that time. But what year was that, that the Leafmans takeover? In 2008, mm -hmm. where I'm talking about when I, I regularly Drunk uh, Audrain was from the period when I went, was in school and, and my, when I was 17, 18 years. And then I drank a lot of Audrain. Okay. <laughs> At that time, it was used to drink it with some grenadine, some uh, sweeteners also. Um, was that because you liked it or because it was just more available and kind of. Yeah. In Ordenar, it was typical. In Ordenar, that period, it was typical that when you went into a pub, you had two drafts one Pilsner and one Oudbrun. And most of the Oudbrun you found was Leafmans. And besides that, you had some Felix and some other brands. Uh, uh, also Roman had, uh, an, an, at that time, uh, a sour, a slightly sour Oudbrun. Uh, so, but I, I was used to, to drink uh, leaf most of the time Leafmans. So I still remembered the mm -hmm. taste mm -hmm. at that time from, from that period. 
Um, yeah. So then when someone, I don't know, is it Michel Morcat or someone comes into the room and says, hey, I want you to move from making this highly controlled, very pale, highly carbonated, you know, flagship beer for Duval to, to something which is completely different. With your brewer's head on, what, what was your... What were your anxieties or your worries or your, your kind of... It was, were you excited about it? It, it was more, more like a changing of, changing of my, my, my uh, um, way of working uh, in the way that... Uh, which was very important also that I, I live in the region. So the distance from my place at my home to Brindung was, all, was very uh, exhausting, in fact. One hour and a half driving in the morning, in the evening, the same. So my hours went completely wrong. And um, so it was a little bit, uh, how you call it? It's, in Flemish they say verademing. Uh, it's a refreshment. Yes, so, yeah. yeah. It was easier for me. Mm-hmm. I became a little bit older. Then it was, in fact, it was an opportunity for me to go to Leafmans and start something completely new. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew that I had uh, the background of Duvel financially uh, was very interesting. And Michel Moortgat uh, wanted somebody of the group go over there. Uh, and it was the most logical choice uh, to take, to ask it to me to, to do it. When you did go over there, I mean, you said yourself it was, I think it was about to close down financially. It wasn't in a good place. W- was it a case of we got a, sort of totally transform what we do, or is it we invest in certain things, but we keep the heritage of other things? Yeah, yeah, last thing. So we had, we, we, Michel, Michel Mortgat didn't have any sour and fruity beers in his portfolio, portfolio yet. So Leaf was, was a, an ideal opportunity when it went bankrupt, and he was immediately interested to take over Leafmans to have a fruity beer, uh, because at that, at, at, at that moment, 2008, Leifmans was mostly known for his uh, cherry beer. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to have a cherry beer uh, in his portfolio. Um, that's why he took over the... And also the history of Leifmans was also interesting mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, to so put it w- into was there a gap then between it closing, Duvel coming on and then it opening again? Or was it kind of fairly continuous? Uh, it was, there was a small gap. Yeah, of course they had uh, cherry, the cherry beer. They had Gordon Band. They had the Old Brown, and um, so first of all, it was the intention to have something with fruit, mm-hmm. fruity beer. And uh, very quickly, uh, we started to try some, do some trials. So there was an idea: will we keep the cherry beer, the traditional cherry beer as it existed at that time? Will we keep it, or will we will we change it a little bit, make it a little bit more commercial? Mm-hmm. And um, it took over one year and a half to decide, okay, we are going to put besides the cherry beer because it was too, too uh, iconic mm-hmm. at that time. We will try to start something with something more commercial. Yeah, is that which the, was the, the Fruites then. The Cuvée Brut is the... Cuvée Brut is a traditional one. Yeah, and then the, and the Fruites is yeah. the, the more yeah. commercial one. Yeah. I guess, you know, working in that Duvel environment, those are the conversations you have to have. It's like, we, we, we're going to keep these iconic heritage beers, but we also need to put something in the portfolio, yeah. which, you know, we can, you know, show a whole range of clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think most people will know Rodenbach, Rudi. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, I guess it's a cultural institution in Belgium as well as a brewery. How long okay. have you been in there now? 
Oh, I started my career in 82 over there. Um, I lived also in the brewery for 12 years, so I knew the brewery very well. Um, I discovered a lot of things uh, in the brewery about our brand and our production method. And I think now we have much more insights about why they are doing this, of why we are doing this, and uh, from when we are doing this. And I'm uh, certainly very interested uh, in that way of production because it's a very, very special way of beer preservation. This is my, uh, my conclusion I after mean, 40 years. Yeah, so 40 years, there's, there's a, you've seen a lot. Like, can you tell me something that you've seen change or maybe you've, you've over the 40 years that you, when you came in, when you came in, what was different to what, what you oh, go to work to um, now? When I came in, uh, it was not automized. Uh, they worked with around 200 employees. Nothing was automized. It was um, completely in the old way. They worked in the old way. The, the, the tensions were not, uh, electricity tension was on 130 uh, volts. So really, you can, you can understand that. But uh, that was, yeah, the history was standing still over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and my first job was to purchase, as purchase in the brewery, was to look for automatization and, uh, and try to work more easily, more, um, uh, more automatically, uh, but always in the sense and in the way that we try to make it as modern where we can, but as traditional where we have to. So we, have, we, we, we keep our traditional way of uh, beer preservation as it was before, nothing has changed. But uh, we built a new brew house uh, in 2001. Uh, we had a new filtration. When I arrived, we worked with three centrifuges uh, in one line, the one behind the other. We have losses, you cannot imagine that. Now we have a very uh, specialized centrifuge, uh, one of the most expensive one that you can find, but this has changed. Um, would it be an oversimplification to say that it's 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 on the hot side and packaging, and that like in the food result, that's where the tradition is yes. preserved. But on the other on the other spaces that that you try to make it more efficient, make it more you know, have more quality control, maybe yeah, much more quality control. And this is also important because our consumers want to have their their product always in the same way. Uh, they think they are very creative and they think they can accept a lot of differentiations in your product, but the consistency is so important. Uh, if something has changed, uh, then they will, be, they will make remarks. So uh, it's, uh, and if you work with, in a traditional way, it's normal that your product is not always uh, in the same way. It can, there can be a, a certain differentiation. So consistency is a big part of... of but consistency in, in the head of our... Not in the head, but in the taste of our consumer is so important uh, that they want to, to taste their product always in the same way. Especially also with, uh, with the sour, souring process. It's very uh, depending on, on, on how you do it. it, it it's never the same. Yeah. It's always changing a little bit. The souring process, it never stops also. Um, so that's right, that's right. Um, so the challenge for you is to, is to kind of manage that so that yeah. you can let it do what it has to do, but still deliver to the customer something which yeah. is, is the same as the last beer they had. And therefore I think blending in our 
productions is the most important thing because thanks to blending, you can, you can blend out your, um, uh, your differentiations and, yeah. and, and, and try to make it more consistent. And this is, after 40 years, my conclusion. It's an older way of preserving beer than the use of hops. So if I, if I put a Rodenbach in front of me from 40 years ago and one from today, what are the things that I'm most likely to notice in its flavor profile? Not so much, because the key of the traditional Rodenbach is the 3.5 pH level. And that's the most important one. And if you think about, this is the pH level of wine. That makes our products also so winey, similar to wine, but started from cereals, not from fruit. Um, and why 3.5? Because it's a level on which you can preserve beer in a sour, acceptable way. If you go lower, then it will be harder for a lot of people to accept it very well. Yeah. Um, Alex mentioned that the kind of the old brown, even if it was 20% of the output of the brewery, was um, a big part of the identity of Fruzette. And I mean, I think old brown is a major, it's the identity also of Leaf Bonds on, on Rodenbach. Um, but how, how uh, in reality, how attached is it to this region? Because I know like there are historical sort of traditions here and you still have four or five of the, the larger commercial producers in Southwest Flanders, East Flanders. But maybe there's other people that want to do it in other parts or maybe it existed previously in other parts of Belgium. Is there, is there a real historical reason why this is Oud Brown's stake? Yes, I'm, I'm sure. This is the county of Flanders. And in the county of Flanders in origin, there was not the use of hops. They didn't know the use of hops. They used Grut. And we were, we were under the influence. Um, if we go back in time to 1350, Flanders was not a, was a region, the county of Flanders, but there were big cities. You have Bruges, you have Ypres, you have Dornik, and you have Ghent. It was a city region. And the count, the, 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 the count of Flanders was only the one who keep that region, or who keep that cities together. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were under that influence. And, and this is coming from earlier. We have to go back in time till 1850. 850, sorry, 850. And there it started. There started the county of Flanders. But was it a case that all beer would have had some sort of conditioning or aging or preservation in wood and that it, it evolved in a particular way here that we have this, you know, um, lactic acid, uh, sour, malty beer? Or why, why, is, why is this region? Yeah, it makes sense historically in terms of like the political divvying up, but... Mm. But I think lactic acid is always the enemy of beer. Eh? And if we look to the, the Holy Roman Empire, they, they have discovered a method of button fermentation. And what is button fermentation? It's a mutation of a Saccharomyces cerevisiae with a, with a wild yeast that has the capacity to ferment the wort on a, on a temperature of around 12 degrees. Thanks to the help of hops, they could make an unsour beer. So this is why they, they used hops 
and fermentation on a on a lower temperature. No, no, that, I totally understand that, but I'm I'm trying to understand why why flowers? Why, why? I, Be, because we have not the same. Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's nothing to do with the fact that no. uh, uh, there's an influence from you know French oak that, that was close by in the border region, or it's nothing to do with the fact that. There was a penchant for this flavor profile over a long period of time, which kept it in cafes. Maybe it was a business. There was reason. a lack of ice. They did not have ice here. We were under the influence of the of the North Sea. This was not the region where they, where they have enough ice during winter time. And also, why it's typical for the Flanders, I know from storytelling, uh, was that, for instance, you have the the Schelde, the river, the big river, which at what period, I don't know exactly, but was the, the border between the French part, before Belgium existed, mm -hmm. before the French part, the, uh, the, so in the, on the left side, Odenaarde is situated on the left side of the Schelde, uh, and the other side was the German Empire. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also made a difference, because in the German region, everything what was, was depending on German was allowed to use hops. Mm -hmm. So they already knew uh, the preservation of hops, what it does in beer, and, and they were used to work with hops. And the other side, it was forbidden to use hops. It were only the monks who could use hops, the abbeys, uh, and they had then also this traditional beer already a long time ago. But the, the, the commercial breweries, small breweries, were not allowed to uh, use hops. So then it's natural that, that they would evolve in, in those two different yeah, directions then yes, as well. Yes, yes. And then they had to use Groot for a long period uh, and they, they could not use anything else. Mm -hmm. um, they did not have the knowledge to, to use also the hops. No, no. And, and they were in that, um, in that idea to make sour beers. And if you have bitterness in sour beers, then mm -hmm. you have a wrong taste. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they stayed in that tradition. I wrote, root beers. I, 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 I read um, a paper um, also that Groot already, it was a mixture of different, different yeah, herbs. And sometimes they found some hops also in this mix, mix yeah. without knowing that the hops was, that had that preservation. Mm -hmm. Of course, the concentration of the alpha acids or the iso-alpha acids was it's very low. Much lower, yeah. It was much low. With, it doesn't inhibit the souring process. But in fact, before Pasteur, in fact, I think all the breweries suffered a little bit from infectious beer. Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, that's pretty, Because yeah. you have the Geuses uh, in, 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 or the Lambics in, in the region of Brussels. But I think at that period, uh, they could preserve beer much better yeah. by cooling. So mm -hmm. the Germans and the Czech people and, and Denmark and so on, they had eyes to cool the beer. They knew that can you keep, when you keep it cold and you have low uh, bottom, uh, bottom fermentation, you can keep your beer much longer preserved mm -hmm. without getting sour. Mm -hmm. In the Flanders, it's more, uh, they were used to drink sour beers and, and, and this pH drop also gives you uh, the possibility to keep your beer for a longer period mm -hmm. uh, at a lower pH, uh, be below 3.5, you have a, a very good preservation of your beer. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's getting whiny, uh, it's similar to what, what Rudy said. So, I mean, the, the, the regional thing is interesting because, you know, when we talk to, and you mentioned the, the Huser guys, those guys in the Puerto Land are very 
proud of the regional connection to their beer, which, you know, they argue is uh, there's a scientific reason for it, whether you believe that or not. Um, the guys in Hainahoan, uh, going back as well, have a connection to Saison, and they kind of cling on to that sort of regional ownership of it. Are you guys, do you guys have that as well, that kind of shared pride in Old Brown, or are you just too busy doing what you need to do for your own brewery? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think also in this region, we have made gooses uh, like um, Saint-Louis, uh, Jacobin, also Rodemach made gooses, but we did not um, preserve that method, and it was taken over by the Lambic brewers from the Zanna Valley. So they, um, uh, they claim it now, that they are the only Goeze ones, but I'm sure also here they have made Goeze, just like in the, yeah. in the Zanna Valley. You can see it, for instance, I give you an example uh, of what we, have, what we still have in, in our brewery, not without out of uh, function, but when you see our old brew house, I think you visited mm -hmm. it already. Mm -hmm. You have from the boiling vessel, it goes into the, the cool ship, mm -hmm. but then they separated the cooling process into two steps. You have the cooling on your cool ship mm -hmm. until 60 degrees centigrade, which is still preserving from uh, influences of, of wild yeasts. And then they go in a second step, they go over a bottle cooler, where you have a much quicker Mm -hmm. uh, a descendants of your temperature, you go from 60 degrees to 24 degrees in a much faster way. So this was also one of the reasons why you don't have that much influence of the wild yeast mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was to, to, to avoid wild yeast infection and only have the souring process, but mm -hmm. without the wild yeast. That's why also why we call it mixed fermentation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't have, don't have really wild yeast in You had a cool ice. ship, also Bokor had a cool ship, Rodema had a cool ship, uh, Saint Louis had a cool ship, every brewery has a cool ship. Mm -hmm. And they could make beers in, in two ways. Uh, first, as he said, to cool down it uh, back to 70 degrees Celsius, and then by the bottle cooler, cooling down to fermentation temperature, or they could keep the wort yeah. on the cool ship for the whole night, yeah. and they could make gooze. This is what we have done, and I can prove in the brewery, uh, because they renewed that cool ship in '36. they had that method. Uh, they could blow sterile air so that there was no contact really? between the, the dripping uh, water that could fall in the, in, the, in the ward to infect the ward, and they could close it, and they have that dripping, so they infected the ward on the cool ship during night. So we made Goeze till the end of the 70s. So. This that's, is what that's that's the reason why we have our ceiling in wood. Yeah. So you don't have you avoid dripping back mm -hmm. in your in your yep. in your. Uh, so what you're saying to me is that Huse is actually a West Flemish beer. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's on record. I, no, no, it's no, on no, record. No, 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 no. no, 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 no Huse no, is no, universal no. beer. Yeah. It's the origin of beer making. But in that origin, you have the wild yeast, you have uh, the the organic flavors, and we are. And consumers are so sophisticated that they don't like any longer uh, organic flavors. Eh? Some people like it, beer lovers like it, uh, uh, people who are looking for special tastes are liking You're that. talking about mass market now, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about a more mass market. Yeah, 
but but the the the, uh, the common consumer don't like that any longer. Uh, look to the organic wines; they are not very popular. They are very interesting, but not popular. You also worked in one of the larger Obrown producers, uh, Longerhinste, which I think at the time you were there was probably still Bokor, pre-2014. Yeah, I worked there from 2008 until 2017. Uh, um, I guess my line of questioning is just about more understanding the relationship between all these breweries, if there is one at all. So, I mean, there, you have, for example, uh, the Brabandere, Bavakova is close by, you have Van Honsebrook is not too far away. You have more quirky operations like Canuda and stuff, which is over in Odenara. Did, did, did you have any interaction with those or did you feel that you were kind of, there was a shared sort of mission between the breweries in your formative years with Obrown? Um, you can be honest, you know. It's <laughs> the, the big four that like, uh, uh, they had like a common mission, uh, but the problem is to have the common mission. Uh, that's my point of view. The lambic makers have like the same process and it's easy to market what they have in common. But uh, the Oudbrun makers are doing it, their process a little bit different each, like uh, the East Flemish Oudbrun without the barrels, the West Flemish with the barrels, but then you have the and guys. And sometimes you have, you know, a pale beer which is aged and then blend it back with a young brown beer and other times they're pulling something from like spontaneously and then adding that into a larger part of wort to, to you know, inoculate that. So that's my question is like, how shared is it? Is this the region of Oudbrun or is this the region where we're capitalizing on a tradition to produce something in a different way from each other, which we can dress up as the same? If I was to ask a cynical question, do you know what I mean? Uh, it is the region. Uh, for me, it is the reason. Uh, but uh, the hard part is that we don't have exactly the same process, so it's hard to market. We are the region of Odbrun because you can't say we all work by the same process. Uh, but you can go from point A to B on different routes. Uh, uh, that yeah, there's some flexibility still, there. Yeah, yeah, and still have common ground. Uh, I mean, one of the things you did recently was with, with Verzet was to run the O'Brown Fest. And you had a fairly wide range of producers pouring. You had kind of some of the legacy producers, the traditional producers, but you also had smaller producers from other parts of Belgium and, and foreign breweries producing O'Brown or what they're called O'Brown. Is that... Do you see that as lifting up the style regardless of where it is? Or do you see, oh, it'll always be home here. So let's try and get everyone coming here to do it. What was the thinking behind that? Rodenbach will always be the mothership. You can't deny it. It's always going to be. Uh, and they influence other breweries like us, like uh, young guys. And we are respecting Rodenbach very much, but we don't want to copy them. We are influenced like a music band, uh, we're inf influenced by them, but we don't want to make the covers of Rodenbach all the time. We want to do our own stuff with it. And we want to show uh, how diverse the style of Brown can be, that we still have common ground, but 
are still diverse on our own and angle the style on our own way, uh, each brewery, and also that uh, in other countries that are influenced by this style uh, and want to see what they are doing it with the style. Uh, because there's no law that you have to use that kind of recipe to, to call it a brune. So let's wing the style. Uh, yeah, like in other styles, there are, there are sort of some set guidelines, whereas actually with Old Brown, there's not really. The, the, the festival, was it a big challenge to put on? Like, where, did you get any sleep for, for, for a few weeks? Or how, how, you, how did it go? Like, what was the feedback? Uh, we got a good, very good feedback. Uh, they already asked for the next edition. So uh, there were a lot of uh, beer lovers and foodies, uh, not the common people, not so much the common people, uh, but we got very good uh, feedback also from what we did like with the master classes and behind the scenes stories uh, because we, we want to make ambassadors for the style so that not only the breweries uh, talk about the brewing, but also uh, the beer drinking people. So you um, have Old Brown Fest in Kortrijk, and then I think next year Zitos comes to Kortrijk, the Zitos yeah. Beer Festival. So very soon this actually will be the, the most important beer region in Belgium, right? It is. It's, it's, it's already is. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that's a good moment to um, maybe pour another beer. Good idea. Part two, differentiation. I want to make one remark on what we have already said with what's, what's in fact common on all these old brown breweries. I think you can reduce it to something which is working for everybody. It's the low pH and the production of acids, uh, lactic acid, uh, acetic acid by microorganisms. I think this comes always back in all our production processes of the different breweries. And this is, in fact, the, the, ascension, the, es the essence of, uh, of making old brand. Mm -hmm. It's the acidification of your beer, your mixed fermentation, where you have the lactic acid bacteria, you have your acetic acid, some acetic acid bacteria when you're storing in wood. And then you have your pH drop. A normal average beer, top fermented beer, has a pH of 4, 4.2. Uh, a, a lager beer has a 4.3, 4.4 even. The low pH gives you the influence of, and also all some a lot of other organic compounds which are formed by these microorganisms. I mm. think this is the most thing, the most important thing, which is is common for every, every old brown That's brewery. Right. And I think there we will find the difference between old brown and red brown. This is in red-brown, you will have the acetic acid. Acetic acid 
normally will create the ethyl acetate that gives you the green apple flavor. And in a red-brown beer, you have much more volatile acidity comparing with an old brown. In an old brown where you have mostly only lactic, lactic acid, acid, you don't have that volatile acidity. Mm -hmm. So you don't smell the acidity so well as you can discover mm -hmm. it in uh, a red-brown beer. Mm -hmm. uh, the first beer we drank was very volatile. Very and volatile. Volat yeah. the, the volatile compound is coming from the acetic acid. As acetic acid. Because you have, um, you have an uh, aerobic um, mm -hmm. fermentation influence. and, and yeah. an influence. While lactic acid, you can create it in an, an, an anaerobic uh, environment. And that's kind of a that's the big that's a difference. reference though a little bit to wood and, and stainless yeah, steel, right? Because of those difference. two environments, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And and this is for me as consumer, it's important that you will taste what you smell in your product, and then that you can find much more easily in a red brown beer than in a, than in an old brown beer. So tell us about this beer first, and then we'll I think we'll double okay. down on this on this definition. Yeah. Or okay, so this is Band. And it's a very old bottle, which I took out of our cellars. It's a, a, this beer is bottled in 2004. And why did I take took this beer? Uh, to, to show you how beer can age. This low pH gives you an uh, easy way to store your beer for a longer period. We give a shelf life of 10 years to a Houdon Band and Kriegbrut. Why? Because the low pH, that's the only reason. You go that low in pH, you have that much souring compounds, you can store it. So the typical um, oxidation processes you have in an average beer, pale beer, for instance, Duvel is very sensitive for oxidation. You have to be very careful with oxygen and whatever. It's so sensitive. You don't find this sensitivity in these beers. And you, you, have, uh, you, you see how the beer evaluates uh, like red wine, it, it, it have the same. It ages the same way mm. when it's preserved uh, very uh, constantly. You have the same aging process, and, and you created also other flavors. Uh, if you yeah. smell and you yeah, taste yeah. this mm -hmm. beer, you have much more Porto uh, mm -hmm. aromas and also yeah. a little bit of Madeira mm -hmm. aromas. Mm -hmm. It is changing, but it is not wrong. Mm -hmm. It's it's um, uh, and it makes it more sweet. It, make, it, it, it makes it even more drinkable. Yeah. Give you some sweetness, but there, there's an intensity to it from the age, but there's also a softness to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because the, the the sharp sourness will be more disappears um, a little bit. Will become more round, mm -hmm. more incorporated in the mm -hmm. taste and in the and in the smell. And I think this is a very good it's, and a positive evolution yeah. of beer aging. While in most pale beers, you will taste carbon flavor or paper flavor, and uh, which is considered as negative. And, and makes, makes, makes gives you an off, off flavors in, in, in beer. And mostly in, in, in uh, pale beers, they will use more hops, and also the hops will oxidize, and then you will create also oxidized hop flavors. Together with the oxidized malt flavors, you become, you are in a negative uh, aging process. So you have like the, yeah, the trans tunnel, which gives the papery element in the top fermented beer, as well as the cheesy hops. So you're just going all out saying that that all these top fermented clean beers are rubbish and that Old Brown is the way to go as a beer which maintains its these are your stability words. That's and not, <laughs> that's not what we are saying. No, of course not. <laughs> but of we course accept not. what you say. <laughs> no, but the, 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 I mean the Holden band is, is an interesting one because I think it's also it's a fairly iconic beer. It's mm -hmm. tied up in the story of Rosa Maddox and the story of Leafmans itself. Um, 
I think it must be a nice thing for you to have some, that thing to build on as well as you produce new holding bands as a, as a niche beer, but still mm -hmm. something, you know, the, the, which has a history. Yeah, that's, it's, I'm very happy that these beers are there at the brewery that we can, I can contribute to, to making it. Uh, the only sad thing is a little bit that it's, it, it disappears a little bit. So the commercial activities around this beer is, is, is not that big. Um, and I'm afraid that people will forget within 20, 30, 40 years that these beers uh, have existed. Because they are so special, they are so unique. And I think it's the same little bit for, for Rodenbach. But Rodenbach does much, much more effort. Commercially, they are doing much more effort. Um, and I'm afraid that these beers will disappear after a certain period. I don't think so. And I'm happy with, with what happens in uh, Old Brin Fest. Um, we are very thankful that they are doing that and we will support them very well. We can we cannot take as brewery uh, the, the lead in that, but uh, we support it very well. And why, I think why can you not take the lead? Is it because it's seen we, as okay, self-aggrandizing self or what's the problem there? It's not a problem, but um, if you have, let me say, more than 80% of that market volume, then um, uh, it's important that other ones will support that, um, that niche. And it's even better that other ones that are doing that than that you are doing that. We are doing our own uh, market support uh, and other ones can follow us. This is what we are doing and this is our responsibility. But to make it more um, creative, to make it more um, rebellion, then you need other ones. Mm -hmm, for you sure. cannot be the rebel of your own. Yeah. Make it more Led Zeppelin. More Led Zeppelin. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned Rob Brown for the first time, and we've been met, talking mostly about Old Brown. And I know that there's kind of this delineation that exists between East Flanders and stainless steel, Old Brown, and Road Brown, West Flanders, food or, or wood. Alex, what do you call it and why? What, what's the name of this thing, this beer? For me, it's easy. It's Oud Brun um, because it's the slang of the people. If you ask an Oud Brun and uh, Oudenarde, you will get the Liefmans. If you will ask uh, Oud Brun and Rooselare, they will not uh, look uh, strange at you. They will give you a Rodenbach. If you ask it in Kortrijk, then uh, it depends on which bar you go. You get a Bavik or a Van der Henste. Van der Henste. So it's a language of the people. Yeah, and that's why we use our brain. It's Michael Jackson who separated the two, uh, the two beer styles. And I know uh, it's, for me, it's easy. It's our brain. That's a common uh, yeah. name uh, because now you have like Leafman's barrel aged. What, how do you call it that? It's, uh, yeah, I, well, you mentioned Michael Jackson, but I think it goes further that, um, be uh, JCP judges or guideline writing people and those perhaps more involved in kind of putting things in boxes to understand things better have needed to, you know, to put things in, in different directions. 
you agree or disagree, Rudy? Are you making old brown or are you making road brown? Or are you making Flanders red or Zuid-West Vlaamse road or what okay, is it? Okay, okay, okay. The, the <clears throat> we make a brown beer that is sour and we call it red uh, brown. And why red brown? Because we will make a differentiation with old brown. Old brown uh, that is and was claimed by other breweries who did not do wood aging. And did we, you, did and you we always would call make it? A, a differentiation between wood aging and making uh, a, a brown beer with uh, lactic bacteria uh, um, uh, aging. Did you always call it a roe brown? Um, <clears throat> if we it? go back in time and um, if we look to La Cambre, he describes the uh, old browns, the uh, Les Bières Brunes de Flandre. So that was the, the common, what Alex said, um, the common color was brown. And they call it old brown. That was the old way. There was a, quite a long period they call it sour beers and not any longer red or brown beers. But um, how can you make a differentiation between <clears throat> those ones who do wood aging and those ones who don't do wood aging? Because I, 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 I'm coming from the period, late 70s, early 80s, that there were a lot of um, imitations of Rodenbach. And those imitations had nearly destroyed that, that whole reputation and that they, whole reputation and they weren't they weren't wood aging they were not wood aging no that mm. that was a, a very very bad bad and black period of that star and that nearly destroyed that whole star Mark O'Brien is it does it belong to Odenarde or is it a catch-all term for everything I can I can follow the argumentation of Rudy completely. Also follow Alex. I'm thinking more in direction as Alex described that for him Altbrun is more a general um, name of the region beer, whether it's wood uh, aged or not wood aged. For me, it's 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 clear that all the beers are brown. All the beers which are brown, and which old. are low, which are low in in in, in bitterness, um, and they have the souring process. Whether it comes from um, wooding, wood aging, but wood aging, of course, you have the influence of your wood, but you have also the influence of your bacteria which are in your wood. And our way of working at Leafmans is our mixed fermentation. So we are very proud, and we are. For us, is the, the mixed fermentation much very important? When you're in technically, when you have your main fermentation, it ferments like a top fermented beer. Mm -hmm. The only thing is that, besides the, 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 the yeast, you also have the presence of your lactic acid bacteria. And at the end of the fermentation, your main fermentation, you have a pH of let's say uh, four, three point nine. This, the souring process slightly begins, but you have to be very, very acute, acu accurate to, to already taste it. Mm -hmm. Normally, after main fermentation, it tastes like an, an, a normal top fermented brown beer, 
very low in bitterness. It, the only thing which happens is afterwards in, 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 in the lagering period, when you store your beer for a certain period at 15, 16 degrees, and then you have the activity of your lactic acid bacteria, which give you the pH drop, which give you the formation of the uh, uh, lactic acid and all the other compounds, mm-hmm. where you, in fact, you create your old brown. And I think whether you store it in a, in, in a, in a wooden barrel or you st- store it in, in big wooden tanks or you keep it in a stainless steel tank. Or how you inoculate. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, all produces yeah. the same. Inoculation, in, a, in our way, is, is completely spontaneous. Yeah. And I think, wh- where are these microorganisms? They are in, 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 in the, the walls, they are in, in the fermentation vessel, they are in the pipelines. When, for instance, when you bring over a beer from, from um, I, I remember the first Vedette um, White we made at Duvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some leftovers, the beer which was not, not uh, um, finished as a Vedette as White. And then 200 hectoliters came to our brewery to blend it away. We kept it in a, in a, in a stainless steel tank for more than one year. And after a certain period, it starts, the souring process started. And it became like a real hoo-harden. Yeah. It was so nice and so fine. So you see that you don't really have to do your main fermentation even in, the only thing you need is time. You have to let it, to let start the souring process and then it becomes, it becomes what it is, yeah. what it, finally it is. Well, I, I have this too, where I, I think I can agree a little bit with Alex in that when I talk to brewers on the ground and I I like hear the way that people reference it, it's mostly this is old brown as we drank it when we we were younger, this is old brown as we see it, and yeah, maybe they're all producing it slightly differently, but to them it's old brown. And if there is any differentiation to be made, because I, I hear it a lot from people coming to Belgium, maybe that haven't been here before. They, it's it for them. It's two completely separate things, and to me, it's not. You know, it's 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 it's, and you know, they're they're looking for a Flanders red, and something else is, is different. But if there is a, a difference to be made, old brown is the umbrella, and then underneath you have different ways of producing it. Maybe there's a old brown Vlaamse old brown, and, a, and an old brown Odenard underneath that. And I guess my next question is is more about the efforts that were made by, I think a couple of the breweries in the, in the Ronsche Road Brown, mm-hmm. Rudy, I think circa 2013 to 16, yep. to sort of have a discussion with Europe about mm-hmm. sort of designation or protection of that name. Yep. And I, I feel that there was a very conscious move on those breweries to rebrand some of their bottles as a Road Brown rather than Old Brown, mm-hmm. and to sort of say, look, this is what we're all doing together and this is what we share. Mm-hmm. So. Do you remember kind of those initial discussions for, yeah, for that? No, it was in the discussion. So we, we, we needed to find um, a general name for Europe. Otherwise, we could not uh, introduce that, that project. Uh, and we were, I lead that project between 2007 and 2012. But in 2013, there was a opposition from a brewer, a um, uh, West Flemish brewer. Um, which, one, which one? I cannot say the name, uh, but he made an opposition, and then um, the whole project stopped. That was a that was a pity. That was a pity. 
if we have had the chance <coughs> to get that uh, European protection, that will be incredible good for every brewer. But yeah. he had to adjust his system to that to that level. And that would be um, a great thing for that style of beer. Was there a discussion about potentially widening the definition to include more regional brewers? Or was it was it that you needed to really show Europe that this was a very specific, it was specific distinguishable specific, uh, sort of style? Uh, it was a, uh, a personal um, positioning of one brewer. Okay. This is but what happened, so... What, what was the, the, um, the difference between that brewer and what's generally done? Oh, uh, why... Um, we asked to, um, to protect our style of beer um, by aging and standing up fats. Mm -hmm. And that brewer did not have standing okay. up fats. Okay. And that, uh, so he, he had not the, the, uh, the, the streak, uh, the regional label of, uh, of the Vlam. And that mm -hmm. was also one of our, um, um, I, One of our, one of the of the the things who that was needed, you needed uh, to be a regional um, Flemish regional label to participate um, for Europe, for the Europe project. Okay. Yeah, I mean, was that a time though that that period that you talk more to your colleagues in those breweries than maybe we, other times? We always talk to our colleagues, but because um, I just got a feeling from the Ronchero Brown itself that. Everyone had their doors open. There was quite a few visitors yeah. around all the breweries, and it was a very positive experience for Oberon, I think. I think so. Uh, I'm I'm convinced, and I was um, I was very happy with that. But then we have seen um, a certain um, yeah, how can you say it? Rivalité, um, competition, competition between some. Uh, family breweries um, who don't like them, uh, who, the one don't like the other one, and that was a problem. It was a, well, that, a, this a, is, a it's a, another a black, dynamic, black shadow who hangs over our organization. It's another dynamic, though, that you have here because <laughs> a lot of these breweries, by the very nature of the beer style, you know, having fooders of a certain size for mm. a certain period of time. They require a brewery of a certain longevity or a certain age, and that's mostly found in the family brewers. Mm -hmm. But with families, you also have relationships which last over generations, right? Yep. So not naming any names, but there's always gonna be that um, competition, particularly I think in, in a generation, maybe not in, in your generation, Alex, but the generation above. Mm -hmm. um, so that was always going to make it difficult. And that's why it was also interesting from the outside because here they were trying to protect something together, you know, yeah. in the region. And yet sometimes it was difficult for them to work together. Yeah, but uh, some, of our, uh, some of the breweries who are in that group um, were more general breweries, um, more multi-brand breweries. And, and Old Brown was one of their brands, but not so important. But uh, I think let most me say a very small brand and a very small volume. And uh, they had other discussions um, between um, each other because they have a lot of properties. And that was one of the, the, the main discussions. Uh, nothing to see with, with um, the, the old or red-brown uh, discussion we had. Yeah. And we have.
Tree Making Old Brown Cheers, cheers, cheers. Too far so, away. Oh. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> I have to. Yeah. Okay. Clean. Okay. So maybe uh, start with uh, what we're drinking again. Yeah. Uh, this is something which is extremely um, intensive in the way that this is uh, Gouden Band. The same as the, it's a golden bond, normal production. But we stored it already for um, two years on a sherry cask, uh, cask um, 500 liters. It's very intensive. I think this is so complex and that you, you can't bring it on the market as it is. That's my point of view. No. You can't bring it's this on the market. It's a nice <laughs> no. product. You have to. Oh. No, but but you ha you. Uh, it's As much a, do, too do intensive. You, do you mean not not like you would blend it back, or you you? Would yeah, that's my intention. No. So I I would use this as a certain part in in a blend with other beers mm -hmm. to um, to bring it on a, on a higher to to bring the normal beers on a higher level. Mm -hmm. You disagree, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that you disagree. <laughs> so, but because it's not super sour, it's so accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but it has so many tastes. Yeah, okay, but this is not sparkling. This is still. And as a still beer, you can drink it, but you cannot bring, bring it on the market, or you have to bring it on a, as a still beer on the market. But then the perception of the consumer is that the beer is a sparkling product, is yes. a sparkling beverage, mm -hmm. and not a still product as wine is. But this is very winey. It's very whiny and also very complex and um, yeah. Ah, oh, we still have uh, two sherry barrels, so you don't gonna do it. Ah, yeah. New idea. Another, Thank you. <laughs> another one for Rosette. Um, and and the sherry, the sherry uh, keg we are uh, the barrel we have used have uh, that's already the third time we uh, put beer on it. You reuse it. Yeah. Uh, Originally, it comes from, from Brendonk, and then um, there was a non-sour beer on it before, the first time. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it has to disappear that I had the place and uh, following up and so on. So I brought it with me to, to Liefmans, and then uh, we emptied it in a formal production. I don't know exactly. Um, we refilled it with a Gordon Band. This has already been used. And now it's the third time we have, and then it's very specific. These sherry, sherry uh, 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 barrels are different compared to other barrels. When you have, for instance, um, um, a bourbon barrel, for instance, then when you use it the first time, most of the, your influences of the, the bourbon and the barrel disappears after the first use. Mm -hmm. It's not the same with the sherry. So you're still, still getting the flavor compounds yeah, in, yeah. in second I don't know, and third I don't know use. what really happens. I don't know the chemical story after it. And, is and, there a and difference in, the, in the, the, the thickness of the wood as well? Or the breathability of the wood? I don't know how, maybe, how a sherry... Maybe, maybe a sherry. also the floor. 
So the, the, the pinnacle who is on the sherry is a... Is a Maybe different, yeah. Is, is a, a pinnacle of uh, bacteria. Mm -hmm. While in a bourbon barrel, you have alcohol, you have um, some vanilla flavors, and you have the vanilla flavor from the yeah. wood. But that wood is completely sterile, steri mm -hmm. sterilized by the alcohol. 60% alcohol, yeah. While in a sherry production, there you have you, there you have some alcohol, but you still have the floor, who is on the top of the sherry, and that will say they keep um, a bacteria culture in that fat. And I think this is the reason why you can create such a typical flavor. Do you recognize this this floor? Uh, what I recognize is a. Um, is the dryness, um, the dryness that you have in a, in, a, in a sherry, in a dry sherry. Yeah. This beer is also very dry. It has a... It's completely text. fermented, but I think, Apple thanks to the, the, the bacteria culture who is in that fat, uh, and no, mm -hmm. no um, vanilla flavors who are coming from the bourbon. Mm -hmm. You don't have vanilla in it. No. no but I think the, that, that sherry flavor or what it gives is very complementary to Old Brown as a beer. But it is, this is part of Old Brown. This is part of Red Brown. This is the pinnacle you have normally on standing up fats because then we will come in another discussion because the big difference of old Red Brown beers is that they, they aged always the beers in standing up fats who are in origin always fermentation vessels while um, a maceration vessel is always a laying vessel to avoid oxidation. So if you mature your beer on a standing up fat, then you always will, the results of, your, of the aging process will always be a more sour beer because you keep a head space, you keep an upper shoulder with oxygen and that oxygen creates vinegar, that vinegar creates uh, a, a pellicle on the beer that pellicle on the beer became thicker at the end. That pellicle will do also, at my opinion, the transformation between the vinegar, the, 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 the vinegar acid. Uh, acetic acid and the alcohol, and that creates the um, uh, ethyl acetate. And the ethyl acetate creates then, that's the creation of the green apple flavor. And that's the big difference. That's the big difference. Normally in, in spontaneous fermented beers that they age, that they are doing the aging first. They are doing the, the, the fermentation and aging on the same vessel. And this is not normal because that was not, at my opinion, at the beginning also in that way. Mm -hmm. You guys have kind of talked a little bit about, and quite passionately so, about that acidification process. Um, but if we, if we maybe start at the start, um, for people that are listening that might be really interested to hear how it's made or, or what's involved, is water important to Obrun? The type of water, hardness of the water, the minerality of the water? I think not in the same way as you make a Pulse beer, as you make a top fermented beer. I think for that style of beer, you needed a very soft, um, good water with not too much um, um, 
not too much sulfites, may not be the, too dry, but for old brown, I think this is not the most important thing. But if, you're, if think, you have something which is aged for a long period of time or for a period of time longer than most top fermented beers, then surely what's in the water will be important to what's, you know, the aging process? No, I don't think so. Um, I think it's, it's a general conception when you talk about uh, water. Water is, is, is important, as Rudy mentioned, uh, for pill beers, for pilsners and so on. And um, which I learned from Mr. Uh, Wustenraad. Do you remember Mr. Wustenraad? He said, okay, you have typical waters originally coming because the soil... The water you pumped up from the soil has a certain natural natural uh, uh, minerals and, and yeah, so on. profile, yeah, and which is typical for brown beers for Dortmund, for instance. In that region in Germany, the water contains a lot of chlorides, and which gives a certain softness to the to the mm -hmm. beer, and also brownness. For brownness and it goes very well with brown beer, not that high in, in bitterness and so on. And I think chlorides can attribute maybe a little bit to this style of beer. But here in but the county of Flanders, we are very close to the seaside. Normally the chloride uh, content of the, of the water will be higher. Mm -hmm. uh, even if you go even more to the, to the seaside, there we have much more nitrogen chloride. Eh? And, and I have to admit, for instance, in, in our case for Leafmans, our brews now for the moment are made by the Koenig. Mm -hmm. So they, don't, they have different water. And then they asked me, what shall we add to the water, uh, how you want to, water treatment, how you want it. I said, please avoid sulfates and add some chlorides if you can. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is, but that's the only thing we do, yep. especially for our uh, brown beers. I think it's, it's, it's more difficult in a smaller operation to kind of manage water chemistry. Are you guys taking like studs water, like city water, or how do you, what, what are you doing in terms of? Um, yeah. We get uh, the hardness out, so because in our region it's very hard water, so uh, I think uh, 30 German Greece. degrees uh, hardness. Mm -hmm. So uh, for our steam boiler, we have like a, um, a softener, a softener, and that's what chloride. So. Uh, we never were thinking about the water. Uh, we, we did like a, a water tasting and it, it has a lot of influence on the bitterness, on the, the conception in your mouth, mm. if, you, if you adjust. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, we don't adjust our, well, we adjust our water like uh, with a softener and that's it. Yeah. yeah. Also for brewing water. Also for brewing water, okay. for all the water. It's all for all the, the water, yeah. so you soften the water. Yeah. And you soften it back to zero, or you no. soften it back to four or six, or? We soften it to zero, and then we blend like uh, to yeah. 10. To 10, yes. 10, 15, But yeah. you don't control the conductivity of the water. No. So if you have, um, you know, potentially a softer water profile, um, the other part of the name, whether it's old brown or old brown, is brown, right? So you want to make sure that your color is correct, that the, the flavors you get from the malt you use are complementary to the, you know, the certification process. Um, so tell me how you're building your, your grain profile for an old brown. 
yeah, I think uh, this, this, this is a choice. Malt, the, the choice of your malt depends on one brewer has more, wants some more caramel uh, flavors or some roasted uh, flavors. This is the, the decision of, of the brewer, the brewer himself. When he says, okay, I want some caramel taste, and then you have to look for malts which contains a little bit more caramel or which are a little bit softer or want, you want some more roasted taste and so on. But this is, this is the choice. I don't think there is a real specific uh, process or, or, or a recipe for which, is, which makes all brand. Yeah. Maybe I will, <coughs> I will say that, uh, that, that is that if you use too much roasted molds, then you will have um, a chocolate flavor or a, an, um, uh, a bitter flavor coming from mm -hmm. the mold. Mm -hmm. And with the sourness, I think you have to avoid that. And, and brewers know that very well. Eh? Because we have a sour beer, we may not have too much bitterness, not from the molds, not from the hops, not from the polyphenols, and, and, uh, and the water is important, but also the molds and, and, and the coloration of the molds is also important uh, for realizing that. No, I, I totally agree. And, you know, if you, if you have too much of an edge into the roasted sphere, I think it definitely clashes with the acidity. But, I mean, does that mean that you're trying not to use any chocolate malts at all, you know, even if it's like a 400 or a 900? Or, or is, it, is it okay to in very small proportions to... Okay, that's up to the brewer. Uh, it's his decision. Uh, if he can find unbittered um, roasted malts, then he can use that. And, and how, how cautious are you about the caramel malts? Because, you know, some of them can leave quite a lot of residual sugar and a very toffee-like caramel flavor. Maybe that's desirable depending on the brewer that's using it, but... Like, do you guys have an opinion on like keeping it simple, or I always like to add some of this for extra character? This is part of the brand. Mm -hmm. This is part of the brand and part of the responsibility of the brewer yeah. who wants to create that brand. Yeah. Okay, so what's? Let me be more direct. What's the malt bill of the Rodenbach Classic? The malt bill. Yeah. So, so, so I presume you're adding some. Pilsner malt for? No, we don't use Pilsner malt. So it's, it's a PLL malt? We only use colored malts. 100%? 100% colored malts. And is PLL malt col colored malts? Also PLL is colored. Okay. Because you but need, they don't you say that we are using PLL malt. We are no, using no, 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 only no, no, colored yeah. malts. Because you're going to need some, you know, diastatic power and fermentables mm -hmm. to create a beer, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to have, have to have something with more simplified sugars, right, than more complex malt, mm -hmm. but you still need the color from some more complex malts, whether it's even something mm -hmm. like Munich or, I don't know, Karen even higher, Munich. Even higher, yeah. That's the responsibility of the brewer. Really, can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. Do you use corn in Rodenbach? Because it's like an no. urban legend. We don't use corn. No? No. Because the problem with corn is that you have more haze in your beer. And um, depending on your filtration process, uh, if you use um, a sheet filter or Kieselgur filter, then you can remove that haze. If you don't use that and you work with a centrifuge, then you have to be careful about that. Because the problem with a dark beer, 
and a, and a brown beer, if you have haziness in your beer, that gives you uh, a bad color when the, when, the, when the sun is shining in your glass. And this is, ah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want anybody to answer questions that they don't want to answer, but I mean, Alex, can you give us like a summary or breakdown on like how you're building your grain bill for an old brown, for example? Uh, it's 50% Pilsner malt, uh, and then 50% of three different uh, caramelized malts. Mm -hmm. So, Cara 50 is like 25%, and then I think 37.5% is Cara 120, from, uh, all from Dingemans, and then Cara uh, 300, uh, that has like the taste of raisins, uh, it's like 12.5%. But we are also, in our search of making the best oat brune in the world, we also have like wing oat brunes, like with, um, uh, from uh, the German maltry, I, I, I can't, why am I like, like, like uh, yeah. um, Melanoidinen? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we are also playing, we are not there yet. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we are playing with all kind of uh, finding the natural sweetener, uh, malty flavor in our oat brune. And mm -hmm. We have sour oat brune, but we want to have like a natural, sweet, a full uh, oat brune, and we are uh, playing with malts to get that. Uh, yeah, because um, you mean, you know, I, I guess that there's, there's such a legacy with these two bigger breweries about sort of building these beers. You guys started off as three friends, working in other breweries that had your own project and you had some old brown you were producing. Like, was there mistakes in the early days of adding too much of a particular malt or making things that were unfermentable or too extreme to drink? Or was it always we were fairly balanced because we're Belgians and how we build it? We, we made mistakes of the sourness, uh, getting too sour, but that was nothing to do with the maltiness. Uh, we always avoided like, uh, using um, like burnt malts, like uh, coffee flavored malts. We did never use them, so. Uh, yeah. And I still won't do experiments with that. Uh, yeah. uh, Mark, what's the, what's the malt bill of uh, the Holdenband? Ooh, uh, I don't know figures by heart because it's done at uh, the Koning, but I'm sure they are using, we are using uh, some Pilsner malt. Mm. And then one or two colored malts, maybe. And a few colored malts. Um, of course, we have to take care there uh, about um, the complexity of the different brews they, ha they have to make over there. So uh, each time they make Oudbrun or Band, they have to order a smaller amount of... Specialty malt. Special malt. And um, we, we looked for uh, a balance between what we need, what we wanted in our beer, final beer, and especially the fermentation degree is rather important. Mm -hmm. We looked for a little bit for it to have a beer which is not too high in fermentation degree. And once you use, start using Pilsner malt, you get- Much drier. Much yeah. drier, much higher, and sometimes a little bit too dry. So we had also experimentations also with some different uh, lowering a little bit of Pilsner malt and then going more a little bit direction of caramel malt and so on, different malts. But in fact, it's still, it's continuously a little bit uh, looking for adaptations. Uh, I cannot say this is the final recipe 
for our brand, uh, of course, the first thing which is very important is the color. You need you need a certain uh, brownness in, in your beer. And then for the rest, fermentation degree is very important. And then looking for uh, the right balance. And um, of course, yeah. Okay, so then if we move on to fermentation. Um, you, you've mentioned that actually it's a it's spontaneous in that your 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 work goes into your are, are you bringing a a, a, a clean top fermented yeah. beer in yes yeah so no, there no, is no 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 we are using a top fermenting yeast a clean saccharomyces a clean saccharomyces with for the first brew we have always a little bit uh, a resting period uh, around christmas and after new year and is that in in Braindonk, in Purs, or is at it Leifmans. in, in at Leifmans? Eh? So you're doing the fermentation in Leifmans? Yes. Fermentation happens in Leifmans. The brews are made at the Koning. So there is water coming in? or Wort is this, coming uh, in normally, fermented? but the first brew coming in after New Year, now this week we will have our first brew, uh, then they add the top fermenting yeast from the Koning. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that's something so that is... So this is a pure strain yeast without any lactic acid bacteria. It's a pure... They made the brew. They bring it over here to uh, over here to Leafmas. We add it, we put it into the fermentation vessel. It starts fermenting. It's an open vessel. It's a copper vessel, so it's not sterile. And I hope there's some enough uh, lactic acid bacteria left over in the copper and in the environment. And once we harvest the yeast, the second or the third day of the fermentation, we harvest some top fermenting yeast, we look uh, uh, under the microscope and we already see the lactic acid bacteria present. So we don't add any lactic strain. But But it's an open fermenter. It's an open fermenter, yeah. It's a flat, flat. But if that happens happens a new year every year, are you relying on that new Saccharomyces fermentation with some lactic in there for all all brews that year, or are you also you, you have the previous from from the year before? Yeah. So the first brew after New Year is a pure strain of yeast. Once we have our we had our first fermentation, we have harvested yeast. It already already contains some lactic acid bacteria. Mm-hmm. This yeast is reused for the next brews, mm-hmm. and so we continue using that uh, yeast mixture. And after a certain period, you have a balance between lactic acid bacteria and yeast. Yeah, so the spontaneous part is actually the presence of the lactic, not, yeah. not that you're pet- you don't room, catch any lactic. In the room, yeah. in the fermentation vessel, and that happens spontaneously. Yeah. So the infection, in fact, it's a really strange word, but the infection of the yeast happens by being at Leifmans in the fermentation vessel. Mm-hmm. So you have it for free. We have it for free, and uh, now you're going. I see you looking a little bit. Can you control it? That's my big no. question. But I know I did some. Um, you control it by blending it. Yeah, yeah. Also, but but I, I know, for instance, that after a certain period, you get 99% of your micro microorganisms are lactobacillus mm-hmm. lactobacillus brevis. Mm-hmm. It's practically all Lactobacillus brevis, and it's always the same each year after each other. Mm-hmm. So your control mechanism is the time at which you pitch and blend and package and I presume pasteurize. It's not really, it's not really a control system. It's, it's, it's only, 
a way of working. So you just you say we're at one point we're going to have ninety nine percent, yeah, lactic, and we just work with that in mind. Lactobacillus brevis. So the the the, the family name is Lactobacillus brevis. We have looked for other bacteria, and I suppose there are some other other strains, other of, strains lactic of lactic yeah. acid bacteria, or or maybe some wild yeast, maybe. But of course, they disappear after by regularly using and back and then the, the, the... Because that's the dominant strain. The dominant strain will be Lactobacillus Always brevis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you see, and I know Lactobacillus brevis from two breweries in, uh, in, in, in Brendonk. They also had some problems with Lactobacillus brevis. And uh, there you don't, at, at that time, I'm talking 20 years ago, at that time, you don't see any acidification at all coming from this lactic acid bacteria. The only thing they gave was some haziness to the beer. I'm talking about Duvel. So this is very, uh, the, the behavior of the lactic acid bacteria can change from brewery to brewery. When I was discussing with, with my, my uh, technical director and I said, yeah, we have Lactobacillus brevis as our, as our main strain. Oh, you have to be careful with that and because lactic acid, um, um, Lactobacillus brevis, uh, but, that's, but actually, that's the one, that's but it, the one we need. And it's actually, it's, us it's predictable beer. in how it behaves because you've seen it year over year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, how are you fermenting? Are you also creating an ale? Top fermented clean beer and then uh, and then bringing it to wood. Yeah, we do it uh, because we don't pasteurize our beers. We want to have like, and we make like eighty percent clean beers uh, during fermentation. Do like a clean fermentation. We make a a boring dark beer, a brown beer at six percent alcohol, and then we do like a sourdough bread. Pitching our yeast culture from pre-blending from other uh, barrels that we blended, the best barrels we harvest the yeast and pitch in the new and the refilled barrels that we cleaned and sulfurized uh, and that we put pitch back in. So, so we will, don't. Will the best barrels change all the time so that actually you'll pull from this barrel because you like it and you're impressed with it and you want to bring that to another barrel? Yeah. But then two or three years later, it's another barrel that you're pulling from. So actually there's an, an evolution of, it's an of evolution, the beer. It's an evolution, yeah. And we mm. don't want to microscope our culture. We believe, we want to be the mystical about yeast and the best culture mixture survives because what we think is the best barrel uh, by our taste, we take and repitch back in. So, uh, it's, it's Other magical. breweries would like freak out of what we are doing, but we yeah. think if that's the best barrel by taste, mm -hmm. go further with that. So it's an evolution. Mm -hmm. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, and I know back, you also, I mean, I've seen your uh, brew house, which is like very modern, mm -hmm. uh, gives you a lot of control and like what you're, yep. what's, what you're delivering to the fooders essentially. Um, what is your North Star? in terms of like what you're trying to achieve in the food there? Well, we start first with, um, with our own yeast strain, who is a purified wild yeast strain from the beginning. It's, um, it's typical for our beer and I can prove it. We have it no more, more than 40 years. It's, it's what, I've, what they have said to me, it's from the beginning. Um, and um, 
we do a primary fermentation and we go with an alcoholic beer on wood. And if we go on wood, um, we try to have the right culture in that fooder. If it is not the right culture, we will reset the fooder. So we will uh, scratch the inner side away. We will burn sulfur in it. We reset it. And then we refill that fooder with a, with a pied de cuve or um, the, the bottom of another fat that we have with the right culture. We inoculate that fat and we fill it with young beer. If you have enough fooders, what we have, then you have the facility to do that. Hmm. And so we, we try to to reuse our culture as much as possible. So it's a kind of positive evolution that we are doing now more than 200 years. This is why a lot of breweries want to do, and certainly brewers from other countries want to do um, uh, cola brews with us. We mm. do cola brews, but we never use our own yeast culture, who is a wild yeast culture coming from our fooders. Because and in that yeast culture, we have uh, we have a lot of wild yeasts. If you separate all those yeast strains, the one beside the other, and you inoculate um, um, a top fermented beer, you will have uh, flavors like you will find back in a lot of gozes and lambics. So we also have wild yeast like Britannomyces, but who don't give that off flavors like horse blanket or wet dog or goat flavors. And are the are and are those flavors appropriate in, in Robrown, Obrown? No, we don't want to have the, exp- the the expression of wild yeast flavors, but we have them. Mm-hmm. We use them in our process. Another five minutes, okay? I, c- I think the commercial fortunes of Obrown have changed uh, over the last couple of generations you know I think at one point it was as you said in cafes there was a tap for Pilsner and there was a tap for Old Brown it was it was kind of what people drank and in the I think let's say 80s 90s it suffered a lot maybe commercially um, I don't know if you guys have an, a, 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 the, what the reason is for that decline mm-hmm. and and what how, what sort of health is it in at the minute? Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen that very well. I arrived in the brewery in 82, and then that style of beer was very popular. But after that style, and, that, and after that period, there was the period of the, the wheat beers, the, the who hardened styles, and um, everyone was changing into that direction, and everyone wants to have a, a wheat beer. Uh, um, due to the fire in Hoogarden uh, that made that brewery part of a bigger brewery group. Um, they found a, a, a solution for the problems they had because they have a lot of flocks in their beers. And But at the end of the 80s, early 90s, everyone was drinking wheat beers. Uh, then we have had a, a certain period, the ales, so the... the um, Belgian pale ale, special Belgian, Belgian, Belgian ales yep. or, or Belgian uh, special ales. Balm de Koning, yeah. yeah. They were very popular early 90s. But at the end of the 90s, um, everyone was changing into the direction of Abbey beers. Um, let me say the blonde Abbey beers, uh, like Laffe Blonde. Stronger beers. Hmm? Stronger beers. Stronger beers, yeah. yeah. And uh, But also the, the consumer was changing from volume drinker into more um, degustation 
uh, beers, and beers with a higher ABV. Late, eight, late 90s um, and, and Nilis, uh, everyone was drinking uh, uh, Abbey beers, blonde Abbey beers, around 6, 6.5. And from half uh, Nilis, let me say 2005, 2006, everyone was changing, not everyone, but a lot of, of a big part of the consumers were changing into the direction of trippers. And, um, and if you look to, um, to the stages of changing their drinking uh, habitats uh, or habits, that was every, every time the market found a solution to bring a higher ABV beer on draft. Early 80s, easy drinking was an alternative for pills. Easy drinking beer, not pills, was an alternative, but all those beers were on draft. Mm -hmm. Half 90s, the Abbey beers were coming on into the market on draft, and they take a big part of that market. And also, half Nilis, 2005, 2006, also at that time, the trippers were coming onto the market. And consumers were changing into that direction. But it, it, it wasn't just high ABV. Yeah, okay, there was higher ABV degustation on draft, but was there like a, a rejection of acid as well? Because I think Hughes, for example, oh, also there suffered. Is not, there's not a rejection of acidity, um, but um, I think the consumer was more into the direction of hydronic uh, drinker. They want to have more alcohol. Mm -hmm. That's true, and also the consumption on, in the pubs um, were, were declining. Were declining enormously. Yeah. So visits it, to the pub were changing. And yeah. I remember when I was young, in in the seventies, the pubs you had in, in in each street you had you had four different or or, or ten different pubs, yeah. and uh, people went from one pub to another, and then and they went to drinking somewhere else. And and, and normally was, you you drank around yeah. between twelve and twenty twenty four drinks every every day, every day. Uh, <laughs> consumption was, was much higher consu consumption was much yeah. higher if if you look to yeah. early early 80s that was around 136 liters pro capita nor we are half of it but the level of alcohol then was around four and now it's around 6.5 mm -hmm. also there we will see an increase of 50 percent of abv at least and, and i don't know if that's going to change because you have you know, health kind of uh, interest now in terms of like lower ABV. And very last question is, is Leafman's going to survive producing Old Brown? Is, is Verzac going to continue making Old Brown? And is Robenbach going to survive? Do we have to re answer first? We will not survive on Old Brown. But we will survive on the other beers. And I want to keep Old Brown as long as possible uh, in the picture, in the picture, and in the market, I want to do a lot of effort, more than I, I have done until now, to put it back on a higher level. But I think um, uh, the brand also suffers a little bit from the name. Old Brown is not commercial in, in these. Not these sexy. Not a sexy name. It's not a sexy name. It's it's old fashioned. Mm -hmm. Old guys drink Old Brown. Mm -hmm. old, old guys who don't have a story anymore or don't uh, so I think it suffers a lot 
our brand suffers a lot from its name. You guys are going to persist with it. Yeah, but we are <laughs> not going to survive. Rzat will not survive on only, brand, only no. on our brand. No. But it's a passion project. So yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. for us, it's our passion. We love the beer cell. But if we're honest with ourselves and with everybody, we can't work full time on a brand and still earn a living. Uh, but it's a passion project that we want to work 1000% on. Uh, but as an entrepreneur, it's a, for us a, a bad idea. Uh, if you only look at the numbers, but uh, for us, it's, it's a passion why we do it. Yeah. Last word to you, Rudy. Uh, is Rodenbach gonna be around in 40 years? We are thankful that there are passionate brewers who loves that style of beer. Um, I hope that Rodenbach will survive on the red brown with a style and uh, an alternative name of old brown. Um, I think also that we needed our fruit beers to help uh, the main brands as Rodenbach, Grand Cru and, and Vintage. Uh, what I see now is that our fruit beers are more important than, it, than they were before. But at the other side, I'm, I'm hopeful because if I look to the spontaneous fermented beers, uh, also there you will see, I guess, 80, maybe more percent of the Lambic beers are blended into fruit beers. But also there you will see that Lambic beer survived. And I'm convinced that we will survive with... Uh, with our own red brown Rodenbach style. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming to chat to me today. I really appreciate it. I wish you all the very best for this year and for future years. So thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. to Visit Flanders for their support in producing this podcast. Special thanks also to Cliff Lucas, who helped with photography, and to Peter Jan Jordens for uh, support with the audio recording. And thanks to, again to you all for listening. It means so much that you're tuning in each time and listening to these podcasts. My name is Brendan Kearney. This has been the Belgian Smack Podcast. Until the next time, love what you do.